0: Are dangerously eclectic.
1: Good evening and welcome to a special Halloween edition of Dangerously Eclectic. I am L. Uh, this with me as always is my co-host Ben. Uh, I'm at Eclectic Heretic on Twitter. Ben is at Ben Dangerously. We're joined by a very special guest host, who I will get to in a moment, but I want to briefly discuss the topic of our Halloween episode, because we hope to make you shiver in anticipation, and if you, thank you, if someone wasn't going to say, say it on this end, (laughs) I was hoping that somewhere out there in the universe, somebody was counting to three and yelling, say it, because yes. We are doing Rocky Horror for this Halloween, and The Ring is nicer than Petty Monroe had. Uh, I'm literally sitting here watching it on the screen as we're doing this, which is probably terrible. But my attention span is jacked anyway, so it is what it is. Um, this movie is one of, I would say, two or three what I would call cult classic or... Well, it is a cult classic, but but beyond cult classic group or subculture cult classic uh the second being Priscilla Queen of the Desert and and I may mention the third before we're done this is one of the movies that really truly helped shape my view of the world or my life in opening my eyes as we've talked about before Ben and I you know we grew up in a little nowhere in West Kentucky that I've recently moved back to and um, Don't Dream It Be It was a potent message. Um, a Dude and a Teddy was a potent message. Especially when it's Tim Curry, because I mean, come on. But the idea that you could take and subvert some of the stuff that this movie does and turn it into what they did in such a ridiculously cheesy, funny way and, and have fun with it and yet be deep and profound, to me at least. Ben will probably disagree, is awesome. Uh, I'm going to let Ben introduce April, our our co-host for this episode. However, I will just add that she is one of the best thinkers I know and one of the more educated people I know on particularly things dealing with I guess what the masses might term deviant sexuality, it's not, but but sexuality and psychology and the, the thought processes of the human mind, uh, when they go down some, perhaps what some would consider darker corridors, which I think is obviously highly apropos uh, with what we're discussing, and April, I hope I haven't pissed you off by saying that, so, <laughs> guys,
0: well, I would just suffice to say that I will let her introduce herself because we have not talked beforehand about what all she is willing to share with our listeners. So I will let her share what she feels is correct and well, I've fair. i
1: sure that she's what I consider an expert on what others consider deviance. Uh, so sorry, April. And we can stop and start recording again if we need to, if that cat didn't need to come out of the bag.
0: I don't think that that's an
2: issue. No, it's fine. <laughs> Okay, um, well, I'm April, I am a current grad student student of counseling, and yeah, I'm into gender, sexuality, all of the things in between, um, so yeah, that's why I'm here, and I love Rocky Horror Picture Show, because I think it is a good cultural piece for a lot of different reasons, and there's a lot of different ways to look at it, um, so yeah. We'll just kind of start there and we'll see where we dive and how deep it goes.
1: Well, and just on the randomness that I tend to add to things, April is the only other person other than one person in one of my seminar classes for my literature masters that I've ever known that was interested in reading queer theory as it related to Frankenstein and um, particularly the De Niro filmatic version. Uh, So this has been, if we leave you... Off to the side sometimes in this conversation I apologize I think you anticipated that
0: There is definitely no need to apologize for that Because my thoughts on Rocky Horror Picture Show Are fairly easily summed up And uh, are not necessarily appreciated By the other two people (laughs) on the podcast
1: Uh, We appreciate them, we just disagree Or at least that's that's my perspective I won't speak for April Um Let's start if it's cool with you guys. Um, and I'll chime in with my version of this after y'all have yours. When were you introduced to Rocky Horror? How old were you? Who introduced you? What effect, if any, did it have on you? Um what what sort of significance and, and how did it come into your life early on?
0: Um I first watched it probably in nineteen ninety-four um maybe uh, graduated
1: you just graduated high school probably or yeah well
0: it it was it was in my first year while attending uh pcc for the first time um and i might have only decided to watch it i know i watched it at pcc in the library because they had a copy of it i watched it and the wall um but I think the only reason that I even bothered to watch it, because I'd never heard of it before, was because of conversations that April and some of the others were having about it. So if that was the case, I would have made it 95. Um, and honestly, um, I like the soundtrack, which I think I've said in previous podcasts, because, you know, the music of it is pretty cool and interesting. But the movie didn't really do anything for me
1: yeah, um, and I knew that was kind of your, your your bottom line on it at least at the time. Um, I'm curious to see if anything has changed since, and we'll discuss that. but I did want to add, I think it's interesting you saw it at that point and in like a public library, and just to uh, shout out to our generation and to anger Tipper Gore if you're still out there. Nobody shaved their nipples off. Uh, he watched The Wall, uh, and nobody, uh, nobody ended up. that I'm a, well, I won't say no one ended up in Teddy's in a castle, but no one filmed it and put it out for mass consumption. I mean,
0: since then, I've ended up in Teddy's, and it might be a subconscious, um, influence <laughs> of the movie, but I, I think it was that was not the case. But right. What about you, April? When was the first time you watched it?
2: I am horrible on time, but. Seems like it was probably 89 or 90, something like that.
1: Oh, wow, way younger than
2: me. No one introduced me to it. It was a matter of going to the video store, just saying, okay, this looks really interesting, weird. I've got to see what this is about. So I put my money down, went and rented it and watched it. Honestly, I fell asleep the first time I ever watched it. I was kind of bored with it. It was like, this is weird, but not enough to really hold me. Second time around, I was like, okay, yeah, there's something more here. Um, So, yeah.
1: I actually fell asleep the first time I watched Casablanca, which is also one of my favorite movies. Um, Rocky Horror for me, uh, probably, I'm going to say 93 or 94. And I'm pretty sure it was 93 Because it was after I joined choir um, Yeah, I got in with the choir and the theater kids And believe it or not Somebody wanted to show me Rocky Horror I know that's just astounding uh, Time is fleeting But it's it's one of those things that And April, that amazes me You're the only person I know, I think That discovered this on their own um, That really just was it, it is a movie that gets and and that uh, similar to cult status movies I think in a lot of areas or or especially those that are important to any particular subculture group of people what have you it gets shared by the people it means something to with people they think will also appreciate it and that that was certainly the case for me i remember the first time was with a bunch of friends And I say a bunch. This is the nineties, so seven or eight, you know, in a living room, uh, illicitly watching (laughs) this movie that parents wouldn't have wanted us to see. And it did strike me because it is—it's ridiculously cheesy and stupid at first. And I didn't have at that point. The background that I now have in some of the old Universal horror movies and some of the Hammer horror stuff to let me appreciate that this is that that even the way it looks at the beginning they're already subverting stuff that's that are that are established tropes. I didn't have that. This was I'm taking it at face value, and Richard O'Brien is being his creepy, should have been Listot in my opinion, if he'd have been that age at the time, sort of self in the beginning. And there's this wedding and there's these people and everybody's laughing and like, why are you laughing? This is bizarre. But for me, when they first come in and Susan Sarandon is scared, Janet's frightened, uh, Barry, oh God, what's his name? Barry Bostwick? Thank you. Barry Bostwick is looking suspiciously and somewhat assholeishly, of course, at Riff Raff. Uh And f- you first see Frank, something, and I grant you, this is from someone who went on to decide they were fluid and bi, but something clicked for me. And that it it really, to me, opened opened my eyes to more than just bizarre or weird movies and, and cult stuff and cheesiness, but, but camp in the sense that camp meant something to gay men in the 70s, that camp meant something and still means something over the top. And, and that initial part of the time warp, and then when Frank comes in with sweet transvestite, I, at that point I was hooked. Yeah. So Ben, apparently no, nothing really had that effect on you.
0: Um, I mean, I thought the time warp was cool. It was neat to see meatloaf who I had become aware of because uh, our mutual friend and my really good friend in high school, uh, William Thomason was a big meatloaf fan and I was too. And I mean, that was around the time that bad out of hell Two was coming out. So there was some right. synergy there, but and it's odd to me because I did have the grounding in the universal stuff to kind of see it as making fun of those or subvert I didn't think of it as subverting the tropes I just thought it uh, as um,
1: well I wouldn't have thought of it as that either before like six years of English education
0: well (laughs) yeah but I mean I I just thought it was a, a the equivalent of young Frankenstein and I thought young Frankenstein was so much better Oh, um,
1: well, yeah. If you're looking to just parody or be funny, no question. That's, right. that's what I was, was thinking. Yeah. Movie. Right. Um, yeah, I, I, can, I can see that. I I don't know. There's something, though, in, and I will go ahead and get this in there before I forget it, because Ashley wanted me to. I told her what we were, t- Ashley's my wife, y'all. I think I've mentioned her before. Um, a wife of 20, well, shit, I actually, too. 18 years, but we've been together 23. Uh, Anyway, um, she wanted me to mention that it really is Brad and Janet's story. That as much as everybody loves the Transylvanians, and with reason in my opinion, but it is Brad and Janet's story. This is the story of the normies venturing out and discovering at their dead end, which they literally run into a dead end sign at the beginning of the movie, as they hit the dead end and they're stuck and they're in a rut and the only thing in front of them is marriage, right? Because that's what they just left. They discover options. Um, She didn't spell all of that out, but she did say that it's their story and it's their discoveries when they come to the castle that that make the movie. And I I very much agree with that.
2: Okay, yeah, I'll have to agree that it is their story in one vein of thought, but I think it's also just a story about your general sexuality and how a lot of gay men were looked at during the time frame. Yeah. I guess I go into that at one point, but... Just looking at Frank starting out as this kind of effeminate-ish character, but he right. still had masculinity to him. Oh, and then we he is a creature of the night for
1: anyone, yes. <laughs>
2: but then we see his journey going through being this masculine-type person, where he's just performing gender. And so it's more of a transgender type thing, whereas towards the end, it goes more towards the desire to perhaps be female, looking at the different ways that he acts, the ways that he sings, the ways that he is treated. Because by the end of the movie, he basically, he dies. Okay, spoiler alert. He is killed for his descent down into becoming more feminine like truly feminine and i will argue that wow
1: no that i i hope you you do expound on that because that's awesome um seeing it as someone who at least when they went into it wasn't a brad necessarily but if i were gonna identify with anybody it'd be brad or rocky and i wasn't that dumb or that attractive so (laughs) you know um Seeing it through that lens, though, I agree with you. And yet, um, I still... God, those heels. I'm watching it, guys, as this is going on, and his heels are stomping as the elevator descends behind them right now. Um, But I, I do think there's something to be said also for... It's his willingness to accept who he is rather than perform that not necessarily just because it becomes more feminine, but also because it rejects all labels, even the labels of the subgroups of which he is a portion, the Transylvanians, that maybe that's what makes him irredeemable, at least to to the movie, to, to riffraff. to to the rest of them um that it's not that he's butch or he's femme or he's more male or female more that it's just he legitimately doesn't care about the labels and that that's the unforgivable sin um so i I, there's that's a very interesting yeah we'll, we'll get into that um Jesus, Ben, I don't want to
0: leave you completely out of this well, I'm, I'm cool, dude, because <laughs> my only contribution to that is I don't necessarily disagree with either of you, but to me, it seems like his weakness is loneliness because of everything that he's trying to do to find love, and so he goes out of his way. I mean, he creates what he thinks would be the perfect person for himself, but right. even that he can't control, so it's that solipsic... Um, struggle between loneliness and control and that's what I got out of it
1: well and there's a huge part of that there is And, and that comes down I think really we can tie to some extent all three of these things maybe a little bit together in that if you won't accept any label at all You're to some extent denying other people the ability to easily see you, which does make it hard for them to accept you, hard for them to love you. And not that you don't deserve, if you reject every label that comes your way, fuck them all, and God bless you, and yes, you deserve love. But understand, and this is coming from someone who's done it, you're making it harder on yourself. And that's okay if that's what you need. But, but you are making it harder when you refuse to accept any view anyone else imposes on you. And not only that, to some extent, you're rejecting the idea that maybe people see things about you you don't see. To your point, April, as far as him being more effeminate, or not even just effeminate, but as far as what he desires being more masculine, clearly, if Rocky is his ideal, that that's what at least physically he wants. There's something there to say, like, okay, yes, I, I Not necessarily that I'm feminine, but that what I'm attracted to is hyper-masculine, right?
2: Well, and he created Eddie to begin with, so you're looking at a lot of stuff going on there <laughs> as well. You have to remember, Eddie was his first creation. He, and then wasn't thinking, no, go into that, please, a little more. Well, no, it's just you've basically got Eddie as his first creation. That doesn't go well. Because basically, it just, it didn't work for him. I mean, there's well, more well, but, backstory. There's got to be more there, of course.
1: There is, and, and, and I'm going to read into it because that's what, you know, literature people do. Um, he made a rule-ignoring, violent bad boy. And then he made a buff idiot. But a beautiful one. Is he, is Frank really looking then role wise for something masculine that doesn't really much exist? Is he, is he kind of maybe, and God, I, I feel like I've been smoking weed saying this and I haven't, but is he maybe looking for himself? Is he trying to find something masculine? That society's telling him, well, there's this type of dude, and there's this dude, and there's Brad, who remember he also goes after Brad. <laughs> so, well,
0: so the way I see that, and I'm just going to throw this and let the two of you discuss it because you are much more versed in the literature and um, the theory than I am. Yeah, but dude, to your me, thoughts that- have already contributed immensely. Please give them. Well, to me, that seems to be a a commentary on gay male subculture. You can make an argument that Eddie is a bear. You can then make an argument that, um, the name is escaping me, the other one that he creates is a twink. Rocky. So, yeah, Rocky, thank you. So you see him vacillating Dude, a twink. hold he on. Oh,
1: Rocky is the... way too buff to be a twink. I'm sorry. I just need to get <laughs> Rocky is... <laughs> Young and attractive, yes, but he's not. Na- Boy, well, he's naive. I, I'll give it to you for now. I may fight about Sandal. later. I'll give, I'll <laughs> give it to you for now.
0: <laughs> so, I mean, and that's just what I see. And so you have like this dichotomy of these, these, this competition, and him trying to find love within these stereotypes. Then you are just like the stereotypical straight dude with Brad and, and what's going on there. And I don't
1: know. I'll tell
2: you, it
1: doesn't, I'm sorry. Go ahead, April.
2: No, I was just going to say that makes, that makes sense. And I think that Ben, you're bringing a lot to this, whether you realize it or not, because you can psychoanalyze something to the point that you go into this abyss. And sometimes you're, too far gone from it. But to me, this is a movie that has, or it's a culture. Let's just say what it is. It's a culture that yes. has so many different layers. And so, yes, maybe you're not diving down to the ninth well, level.
1: And the, and I guess one of the reasons I, I would argue, and it just came up on the screen, Ben, one of the reasons I would argue against the Twink definition, Frank, in a very... <laughs> lip biting way describes Rocky as so dominant right so it which is not a twink thing it, at least normally it, in my look my limited experience but knowledge and discussion with various people um be that as it may i think there's something to be said additionally at this point for the fact that you guys i think are both In a good way, because every, every work of art is a product of its time looking at it more in a, in the context of the era which produced it. I tend to look at things or attempt to more universally. Um, I think there's a lot to be had from the fact that, and again, and this may just be personal experience as someone who has a feminine side that did not get it fully expressed for far too long, but. I think there's something to be said for the fact that Frank looks for what women were supposed to and or thought to look for in that era. And then again, to your point, April, that he becomes more feminine and yet loses everything because he's not fulfilled by anything he finds in any of those masculine tropes. Um, And again, is that is that just attraction to the opposite sex that's coming out in that way? Or is it that there's something masculine within himself that he wants to express that he can't find. So he's looking for it in someone else. Am I completely reading this only through my own personal lens? Quite possibly, <laughs> but I think that there's something there to be, had. there's some meat on that bone, wherever that bone may come from. <laughs>
2: It's just another example of how Tim Curry is just a creature looking for love in all the <laughs> wrong places. Got yes. like our picture show. We have Legend. Yes. That's a whole another story. It's like Marcus <laughs> just wants to be loved. He just wants the love. Sometimes he wants to float, but most of the time,
1: he yeah. Wants you know, I, it's interesting to me too with the Frankenstein motifs in this, um, and Ben, I'm, I'm going to bring something I know April's probably familiar with, but I'm going to bring a little bit of the Frankenstein into this too, is that what we create that we think we desire is usually exactly what we cannot stand. Um Frank makes Rocky he makes Eddie but he makes them and what he wants is someone who will see him and understand or what he wants is a person and what he makes is a thing and I think there's something to be said for that and in this movie too for the objectification of people and their roles they appear to present um I was pointing it out before we actually started the podcast. Obviously, who, if you were listening, we welcome our NSA and FBI followers. Um, but before we actually started recording, I was talking about, you know, the credits very, very clearly delineate roles. Magenta is a domestic. Um, Brad is a heroine. Frank is a scientist. And if there's anything to be had that's truly universal in this in in rocky horror i think almost anyone and i say almost because i'm not sure ben finds value in much of any of it but and not just you man i'm just kind of digging at you a little bit there but i i think almost anyone probably can find a useful outlet in the idea of subversion of their societally pictured role Right, but because no one—I won't say no one—but if you if you tell me someone exactly fits their pictured role in society, I'm picturing freaking Michael Douglas in Falling Down, like the, the the dude that ends up going out and shooting up everything. And, and, and <laughs> anyway, long long time ago, um, I I really feel like Rocky Horror is something amazing in the idea that it subverts everyone and everything's role and they all can get along until someone attempts to impose control i that that's me and and i may be reading far too much into that but sort of damocles is coming up so you guys go ahead and talk. <laughs>
2: So you're just going to float off and watch or listen to that. Okay. No, 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 no,
1: no, no, no. I'm listening to you guys. I just, uh, I'm trying to keep the audience updated on where I'm at with the movie. So.
2: Gotcha. Well, you mentioned control. And I think a lot of it just has to do with control throughout. Cause there's a lot of lines through the songs and through the dialogue is just talking about keeping control and trying to maintain this level, Frank starts out being the one that "quote unquote" has control, but not really. It's like at the beginning of the time warp, Riff Raff is like, "I've got to keep control." It's like he's trying to hold the household together, right? Because Frank is spiraling.
1: Well, and of course, like it does turn out—spoiler alert for this 35-year-old or whatever, however the hell old this film—that yes, he actually was in command, in control, if necessary, of everything um he's trying to keep things going on and the the transsexuals the transylvanians have uh all bought in fully um and you know actually just watching this as as you're saying that rachel frank's chasing rocky around desperately clinging at his ankles and his calves right yeah here.
2: Hi, I'm April, it's nice to meet
1: you April, I'm sorry, there's a woman in the, I'm sorry, there was a Rachel on the subtitles uh, My apologies um,
2: Perhaps we'll, we'll be introduced one day, it's good to meet you
1: uh, Well, no, she knows who she is uh, She doesn't listen to this, so it won't matter But no, you, you remind me of one another for a couple reasons um, I didn't meet her till about five or six years after I met you, April But you both have a similar intellect, a similar view of things. More than that, out of the corner of my eye, you both have the same haircut and general complexion. And when I'm watching Tim Curry run around grasping at a blonde man's ankles, I don't always see clearly. My apologies. I'm also tired. But... But there's something to the control thing. There definitely is. He's chasing him. They bring in. That's a really good point. What do you guys? Where do you
2: guys think Doctor Scott fits into this? Doctor Scott is the super ego. Nice. Basically, expand. expand expand Okay. Okay. Basically. You've got Frank just kind of going out there doing his own thing, and he's the id. He's just kind of trying to figure out his own thing. Riffraff is the ego. He's like the balance of everything. And then you've got Dr. Scott and his wonderful academia that is the super ego. It's like he's wanting all of these things to go right for these sweet kids that were in his class that are now searching to come and find him and say, hey, we're getting married. We appreciate you for everything.
1: Does that make Rocky literally, as he says, that his libido hasn't been controlled? Is he pure libido then, in this Freudian reading of the movie?
2: It may be, I don't know. I'm trying to bounce around with thoughts that I've had. And it's hard to stay on one track because you can look at the culture of this film and a lot of what we're talking about just lets go of the whole idea that this is a culture. This is something that people were able just to go and be themselves. Don't dream it, be it. Just go, have fun, and then you can return to your normal life, this, what you're supposed to be. It's like, this was 1975 is when... The midnight showing started and everything.
1: So You know, honestly, that kind of makes me want to take the rest of what we do in a different direction. Um, Because this analysis stuff is fun, but I do overly intellectualize stuff. I'm aware of that. And not just that, but you're right. Uh, This is a film that... People could easily potentially be offended by nowadays if they're not taking it as as a product of its time, if they're not taking it as an artifact of this culture. So, no, I'm actually maybe more interested in going into that because that that's a really incredible point that. The norms Brad and Janet show up and they even can kind of get in. And get involved. And the culture is welcoming of them. But eventually someone has to exert. We'll come back to that word. They have to exert control. And the outside world has to be kept out. And in light of. I'm going to ask this. And I'm going to ask it to you Ben first. Because I think it will catch you really off guard. And I'm curious what the top of your head thoughts are. And then maybe April you can chime in some too, but given that this is an artifact and a product of that specifically mid-70s gay culture, what do you make of the fact that they actually cannibalize their mistakes when it comes to eating Eddie?
0: There is a phrase that is popular amongst the political left in that the left always eats itself. And that is that the left cares much more about ideological purity than the right, even though the rights, linguistics, and and rhetoric speaks much more to um, purity. But the left cares a lot about ideological purity in that if you don't think exactly the same way, then you are not— true to the movement, true to the core. And so that's how I read that. And I knew to I'd me, find a way to shout
1: out my third cult movie. So Purity of Essence uh, is going to be my Dr. Strange reference, and we'll move on.
0: Yeah, so so to me it is, and you, you kind of see that in some of the controversy today, and I don't want to spend too long on this tangent, because I want to give space for April to come in, but... Such as uh, one of the reasons that we decided to do this is because of conversations that came out um, attempting to uh, cancel "quote unquote" this movie for its treatment of transvestites, and well, that's not even the word used anymore, but transgendered people. Well, well, Um, let's. I'm sorry. Yes.
1: Well, no, let's stop for a second there because that's. If you do that, you are in fact erasing a segment of the population who truly are simply transvestites. They're men who identify as men who are cis het men who enjoy wearing women's clothing. Um, That is not a minor portion of the population. Now, were gender norms not what they are, et cetera, et cetera, would that, who knows? Okay, but, but you are, in fact, in the current moment, if you choose to ignore the idea of transvestites erasing a portion of the population. And that bothers me. <laughs> but I'm over there on the left with your ideological purity, so.
0: Well, yeah, I mean, and, and to me, that's just what it is. And, and to me, that's also the point where the control thing comes in, because you you want acceptance— You want to become part of the mainstream culture, but there is a fear that if you become too much of the mainstream culture or let too much of the mainstream culture into your subculture, that you've lost the identity and what made you special and what gave you that identity. Now, when you're mixing it up with, with, you know— gender and sexual orientation things it gets a lot messier i'm, I'm speaking more uh, I'll, of the I'll clean, it up. Side of
1: it. I'll clean it up and put it into musical terms because we do that a lot i forget which comedian said this but the only musician who never sold out is Gigi allen and he was covered in shit <laughs> so i don't think There's a point to be made there I'll let people infer it for themselves Because I don't want to spend five minutes on it Um, Yeah, let's leave room for April April, who is not Rachel I really am sorry about that
2: You're fine And I think what Ben is saying is very good See, once again You're like, oh, I don't have much to say But you do You're taking these Huge bands of thought And making sense of it Because I tend to ramble these two gentlemen know that I ramble and I have a hard time making points sometimes. And so, yes, you said that eloquently and above my head, but very academically. So, well,
0: I, we I, appreciate you. I'm overeducated and underemployed. So, well. we
2: both,
1: me too, and we both appreciate you because I also have a hard time sticking to a point and being succinct. So,
2: well, this we know. I haven't called you out yet, though. I haven't had to tell you to shut up, so this is hey,
1: good. I put it in my freaking name. It's an eclectic heretic. I'm going to disagree with everybody, and I'm not even totally sure fucking why sometimes. It's fine. Um,
0: so Anyway, let's go back and giving her the space before please. we continue. You well,
1: agree- no, and I don't- Expl- expound- explain on that
2: explain on what I'm sorry we've gone to left field oh, okay. I, I know the agreement
1: with Ben about the issues of control ideological purity mm. the idea that yeah the left eats itself and and what you see in that with Eddie in this film
2: Oh okay that's kind of going towards the political aspect and that's a realm that i don't live in nor do i do
0: um well if you have some other thought yeah. about the, the cannibalization of, it. and i've never
2: thought about that honestly okay. um i mean i think it's... that's an interesting point and i will probably have a thought at some time in the future but i'm not really sure that's not something i've thought about you caught me way off guard with that
1: um what does what does um then, well, let's go back if you'd like to, to Dr. Scott um, and what you see him representing a little more about being this the the superego, maybe, or because I found it interesting. What did spark with you off of Ben's comments on on that on the cannibalism? No, sorry.
2: No, not re- that's the thing I is April, right, I'm sorry. <laughs> yeah, that's kind of what I just said, but that's okay. It's all good. Um, but to answer your Dr. Scott question, I just really feel that I mean you have to remember this is Eddie's uncle. Or not, yeah, Eddie's uncle. Um right. and so he's coming there for one reason, but then you also have brad and janet and it's like oh what are they doing here and so it brings this nice little happy bubble going and it's almost like the entire castle is this huge petri dish and in the superhero song there's that line and crawling on the planet's face some insects called the human race lost in time lost in space and in meaning yes it's like you've thrown all of this into this huge petri dish and much like frank being a scientist it's like, okay, what is going to happen? Because you have this downfall of Frank. You have uh, Columbia and Riffraff going back, taking the castle, and going back to their planet. And then you have Brad and Janet left. Brad starts out as a young man, as being this innocent. They both do, but as it goes on, he becomes this more masculine figure. Ready to get married, it's like he's marching towards marriage, and this ideal that we go from childhood, romance into this marriage type place, and so that's like his finish line, where he's going, and they're crawling around trying to get a place, and then everything spins out of control.
1: I wow, I I see Brad's arc so differently from that. Um, Even.
2: Listen, I mean, when he's singing, early on, it's kind of this in-your-head type voice. It's this, like, little boy, not little boy, but young man singing. And then as it goes on, his register goes further down, except for when they're doing the stage show. And then it goes higher again, but he's under the power of the transducer, Medusa thing. Yes, but... And he's okay. under the control of Frank at that time,
0: okay. and so Frank
2: yeah. is basically controlling him. So that's the only time. And then Frank's voice goes from this masculine singing down to this boyish. So it's like they're swapping places as well. Wow,
1: I really want to argue with you on that. I really don't have much ground to stand on and it kind of pisses me off um, <laughs> not in a bad way just like you're probably right and it, it it upsets some things I've thought about this film for a while which is and maybe that's again my personal view of it is that I really did see Brad's mannequin performance and I, he's a freaking mannequin I mean you're right the symbolism's blatant but I did see that as more freeing um, For him Rather than someone else being in control Um,
2: Well and he was freed I mean don't get me wrong He was freed from a lot of this He had those freeing moments Right But it's
1: So, but it's an, maybe it's an, I, I, and I guess what I would say is it's an awakening to possibilities and acceptance. And at that point, you have to either accept or reject the roles that have been assigned to you. Um, and yeah, I guess he does lean toward accepting them, which I find interesting, at least in its implications for what it mean, may mean down the road for Janet and him. Because I don't think Janet is on the same page anymore.
0: <laughs> well, see, to me, that makes me wonder if then we can read this entire film as a metaphor. Being as it came out in the, the 70s, it's still critiquing the 50s, but it's also critiquing the 60s and the free love and the hippie movement and everything else, but it's trying to strike that balance. So you have people who are assigned these roles and there's this desire to keep control but they don't find freedom and they can't truly accept these roles until they have had the opportunity to, to experiment and engage with the counterculture to some extent I'll, albeit in like a very camp and um tri way very colorful way in this movie that is that has elements of discomfort but it's never really dangerous uh, to our modern
1: sensibilities, I guess, I, I would argue that, especially when you get Frank in the wig on top of Brad repeating what he just did on top of Janet, that that was pretty fucking threatening to a lot of people back then. <laughs>
0: I'm sure that it was, but we also have to remember that this is the era of stuff like that. Uh, Texas Chainsaw Massacre, and it's not that far removed from Psycho and stuff like that. So there has been much more explicit and violent depictions of things.
1: You know, we're we're really going to go on a small tangent here, and I apologize to everybody, but we are, in fact, dangerously eclectic. Texas Chainsaw Massacre doesn't really actually show very much of anything disturbing happening. Mm Mm-hmm. It doesn't. It's one of the things that in that film, at least and Toby Hooper went gonzo horror and over the top, in my opinion, mo- most of his later films, but in Texas chainsaw massacre, not very much actually happens on the screen that would be considered disturbing, not in an era, especially that, that now has produced hostile and some of the Eli Roth of your type stuff. Um, I, Texas Chainsaw Massacre and Psycho, too. And it's funny to me that you mentioned both of those together because the shower scene in Psycho shows nothing. Nothing. It's it's a knife going through a curtain and some chocolate sauce flowing through a drain. But it shows you where people's minds were um, that they saw all this stuff. Texas Chainsaw Massacre is far less gory and violent in its visuals than *Night of the Living Dead*. Um, it doesn't show much. It really doesn't. It implies a hell of a lot.
0: <laughs> You're right, but we're also—I mean—I think that that's a part of looking back on it with 2020 eyes. And and again, this is something that April probably has a lot more to say on than I necessarily do. But we have to remember that. The whole slasher thing, and like the -the over-the-top gore and violence of the 80s, spins out of things like Texas Chainsaw Massacre and the first Halloween. The first Halloween is really a suspense. There's not a whole lot of violence or anything there either, but it births this genre because of the implied violence and where the people's minds went, in my opinion. So
1: so what did the implied... I, I hesitate to call them atrocities because it's sex, but what did the implied sexual atrocities, quote unquote, in Rocky Horror lead to? Then, I, I, I mean, is this where we get Debbie Does Dallas and and Deep Throat? And I mean,
2: well, it could be just I isol- Isolation from that which is known I mean, it's not horrific Oh my gosh, no Like, somebody's coming to kill me But isn't isolation in itself kind of horrific? Yeah Being taken away from everything Being alone
1: Well, and that does tie in beautifully To the queer part of this movie And the gay culture that it stemmed from yeah is is the fact that there's this entire life that like you said you know maybe people can come in and experience a little bit of something but then they go back and they live their life that this is a different world you've for a brief time entered a realm you you've gone into the twilight zone
0: right well, I, and it's also off the hills of the free love movement and the hippies and before the AIDS crisis yeah
1: and and that that's a huge thing obviously that it did come before the HIV uh, eruption but i mean and and i guess maybe what i see this as is more an idea that the sexual to tie in everything I've been saying because I didn't see it this way but maybe it's an idea and you look at like touch a touch a touch a touch me that's Janet's awakening in into her female sexuality that she wants to be quote unquote dirty well it's not dirty to her She just wants to have fun. Right. But it's the role that that idea has been assigned with. I mean, it's, it's Brad, Janet, Dr. Scott, Brad, Janet, Rocky. Uh, Everybody's a little shocked at everybody else. But maybe everybody is discovering their own passion and, maybe moving more toward what eventually happened, which is finding a way to reconcile that with, instead of just free love, social bonds with, with social contracts, with, with social roles, societal influences being considered, but not dominating. I I don't know. This is, this has gone insanely far aside from what I thought it would, but it's really freaking interesting.
0: (laughs) Well, I mean, you know, we are all of the same age, roughly the same background, uh, equivalent educations, and are also from the same socioeconomic and racial caste. So I think we're all going to have fairly similar, even though we have very disparate, but fairly similar reads on it. I think going back, though, to really show that diversity is I want to throw a question at you in April, and I'll start with April, is... And it's something that you asked at the beginning, L, and when you tried to, to talk about what the film meant to you. So, April, what did this mean to you? Did it mean anything? I mean, you've returned to this movie a lot and had you moved on to some of the um, live showings where they throw the, the fucking toast and all that kind of crazy shit. So, I mean, is it just an entertainment thing or or have you? We've thus far been talking mostly about what the – the, the text creators and what the text is, what do you as the audience, what have you made the text for yourself?
2: Well, I think it's changed along the way. When I first discovered it, it was like, okay, this is kind of an interesting movie, but nothing extraordinary the first time I watched it. Like I said, I fell asleep. The second time was like, okay, there's a little bit more here. And then it started a conversation. And once that conversation got started, it just meant community to me because once I started talking to people, they're like, oh, let me check that out. And so different people would check it out. And then it became these ongoing jokes and these like the sense of community and feeling like you were this in group of a subculture almost. And so through high school, that's what it was for me. And then re going back to it now, or even like through college, it was like, okay, we're looking at these gender norms. We're looking at these deeper academic things. But to me, it's still just fun. The bottom line of it all is this movie was nothing. Even back in the day, it was Richard O'Brien sitting down. He wasn't doing anything with his life. He was an actor. He wasn't finding work. And so he started writing this.
1: And he made you sleep now.
2: <laughs> exactly.
1: Dark City shout out. All right. <laughs>
2: That's. But can I finish, sir?
1: Please, Please do.
2: Thank you. But the point I'm making is the movie wasn't anything until audience participation started. It flopped. People did not really like this. Until you started getting audience participation, and that's where the culture comes from. There's all these people pulling together, yelling at the screen, you know, asshole and slut and throwing the toast and the rice and the newspapers and all of that. It becomes this performative thing, and thus we go back to the performative aspect of gender. So I'm finishing my thought. I will relinquish and continue on.
1: Well, you may reclaim your time at any point if you need to, madam. Um, I All I was really going to say, and it's not to add to that so much as to underline, is that you're absolutely right that this movie, and maybe most, at least, subculture cult-type movies, are more about what they bring to the group. And what this movie, at least for me, Ben, to, to sort of address your question, is what this did for me is introduce me to the idea that this stuff was even discussable. that That you could talk about sexuality. That you could look at discussing, you know transsexuality bisexuality being a transvestite being gay that that stuff was even possible to discuss in in a group let alone and to build it did build a culture and what it built a culture of was people who and i think i said this ben in one of our earlier episodes when we were talking about the movies and stuff that shaped us as kids it's It's less about the content and more about the fact that there's common ground. And so, April, what you said about the conversation around it, about the discussion, the questions, the jokes, that is what this movie means to me, is that there's a shared experience outside the normal assumed shared experience, which... I'll be honest, and I think there's po- there's there's positives and negatives to this. I don't think there are any more assumed shared experiences in America, in American culture these days. I don't. The the culture is too diverse. Um, the the pop culture is too diverse. The internet has taken stuff. You you can't assume that everyone watched. And, and I would, I, I would be astonished if you found someone of our age and told me that they had never seen either Cheers or The Cosby Show. If you told me that they literally had no exposure to either of those two things, I'd call you a liar. I, I, I would have a, unless you then went on to tell me they were in a cult or their parents were super strict fundamentalists. Like Mormon evangelicals or something, I, which I realize is conflating, but I, I wouldn't believe that, and and I I don't think that's the case anymore. So I think used to you found something like this that was this far outside the norm, and yes, objectively, look, I I I've, I've taken a lot of film classes. This is not a good movie. Uh, it's it's plotting is very very and i'm trying to be as nice as i can poorly paced um it's it's hooks not there it ignores all kinds of conventions it it, it's not objectively a good movie but it's an insanely amazing shared experience and i think you hit something right on the head there
0: april i really do so my rejoinder to all of that and i don't disagree with anything that either one of you said But I think that what this movie accomplished by being able to create that bond, to create that conversation, um, to create that subculture around it or the, the cult status still happens. It just happens on a much finer scale. Because I do agree with you, Elle, that we don't have the cultural touchstones anymore. There's a reason that... TV networks just chase after sports is because there's a the feeling that that is the one thing that people will watch live so that they can get their advertising dollars. In. Right. But I think that, I mean, we are having a conversation now where you are, well, what is Paducah, like 250 miles from here? Yeah. Um, and other episodes of our podcast have been recorded over a much larger distance, <laughs> so the current digital age has much it made it much easier to find your tribe online, but I think the that multiplicity of voices and things heard, while that is good, much easier to find your tribe online. I think perhaps the area where it is lacking is because you it is so easy to do that it makes it in some ways unless you live in a large city. Difficult to find your tribe in person, because even though I didn't necessarily like Rocky Horror Picture Show as again aside from the, the soundtrack, I still watched it because all my friends talked about it, and and to be able to understand the binocular right. and get on some of the end jokes, I had to at least get an understanding of it. So I became part of the group in, in, in communication in that way without any joy for the movie without any love for it and the ability to go anywhere and find anything kind of divorces that i think and maybe that's just me being an old man yelling at clouds i can't really say this what we were the counselor can speak to this a little better than me
2: No, i think that does make sense and when we're looking at the culture of this movie that's like this huge moving culture but i think there's still micro cultures out there it's like in the middle of a pandemic how many people either watched or knew somebody that watched or at least followed memes of tiger king that's
0: that's a fair point
2: now granted we were kind of in this giant fishbowl of everybody stay at home and so what do we do we turned to netflix we watched the show But that was short-lived. It's like now that doesn't really have a whole lot of relevant stuff going on with it. I mean, you still hear about it, but it's not like it was at first. So is that a fact that it has less substance?
1: Because I don't necessarily personally think that's the case. I think it's a fact that we made more out of what we had because what we had was so rare, so seldomly come across back then
2: well that's possible too and those people that were into tiger king were one of two tribes it's either those people that kind of enjoy those crazy off the wall documentary you know how nutty is this it's like i can't look away it's a train wreck and then those true crime people where it's like oh yeah she fed her husband you know (laughs) To these lines, it it happens, (laughs) and then those people get into that subculture of like Bailey Sarian gets Mm -hmm. into the show, um, just all these like sub shows, yeah,
1: yeah, yeah, making a murderer, and
2: you you know, maybe you go down that rabbit hole. Um,
0: well, I will say that we are like you, yeah, it's
2: like how many people are totally in love with Joe from you, it's like. A special oh, okay. kind of crazy, but well, know, people still
1: fucking and Ben and I have talked. Ben and I have talked about this before. People still think Sid and Nancy and Romeo and Juliet are romantic too. So what are you wrong. gonna do? Joker and Harley Quinn. Any that's of these? other story. Christian and Anastasia. Pick your toxic, fucked up, terrible relationship, and <laughs> somebody's gonna build a love story around it. Apparently, I was, <laughs> we don't
0: know. Because, to your point, this uh, Rocky Horror felt at first, and then a community spread up around it. It's entirely possible that in five years, ten years, a similar cult thing will pop up around people reenacting, dressing up like Joe Exotic. Is it, is and doing it
1: though? Is it really? I, yeah. I don't, man, I don't see it. I Why? i'm trying I'm trying to put that into words. Give me one second. I, I I think what it boils down to is a combination of Andy Warhol and John Hughes, if you'll bear with me, and to a lesser extent, John Waters. Warhol was right that everybody's going to be famous for 15 minutes, except 15 minutes is now three memes between like 800 people, because that lasts 15 minutes in the global scheme of things. okay? And John Hughes was the last person able to really write, in my opinion, the last person really able to write fairly and again coming from a white guy who was born in the 80s fairly quote-unquote universally themed stuff um john waters on the other hand should have had a lot of success resembling what rocky horror had and never really did um don't get me wrong crybaby's got a following pink flamingos has a following he, but he, he did what Rocky Hort did with camp in a way that like Mozart would have done what John down the street with his piano did. A- and maybe when you go, and it's a fact actually, I won't say maybe, write for the classes, eat with the masses. Right, with, right for the masses, eat with the classes. Maybe when you go high art with it, which in my opinion, John Waters did, maybe it becomes so inaccessible that it just can't hit. But but some of what John Waters did should be as big or bigger than Rocky Horror, and it's simply not.
2: But he was, okay, but he was that pebble in the lake that concentric circles came off of. Because, okay, Divine, and I was going to make a comment earlier. And I think that's why Rocky Horror spoke to me, because I came from a household where I was able to watch Lust in the Dust and things like oh Pink
0: Flamingo.
1: Yeah, I, I was not. So, yes. And so I was <laughs> able
2: to do that. So it was like, okay, this kind of spoke to me. I didn't understand everything that it right. was saying, but I understood it. But, yeah, I think he was that ground zero for things, because... You've got Divine. Okay, there's that first layer. And then look at drag culture now. How that is spreading out. And if it wasn't for him and that's Divine, true. this wouldn't well, and there's other people, but well, uh, yeah, well, but
1: pay. how many kids alone have been influenced by Ursula and the Little Mermaid, who is divine? Right? I
0: mean, that's yeah. a, flat out that's who that is.
1: So no, there's a point to be made there, absolutely.
0: Well, here's, here's what I would say also, is that it can't look exactly like what happens around Rocky Horror Picture Show, because we don't live in that world anymore. We don't have a cinema culture. I mean, there are a few places where there are still sure. cinemas, and who knows what will survive the COVID stuff. But what would happen now is people would be tick tocking each other shit about— um, Or there would be watch parties or
1: you know. sh- Right, right. No, I'm yeah. with you on that. I get you.
0: Uh, so I as big maybe not that doesn't mean that a phenomenon similar to it doesn't grow up around it well
2: uh, and maybe it's one
0: of the few things that is a cultural touchstone because it did have so much buy in from people maybe not young people maybe more people our age who are into these things who knows but uh, I, I'm, I'm, I'm just saying that it isn't impossible and it's too early to know if some other cult phenomenon will spring up because we've kind of aged out.
1: And you've made me actually maybe a little mo- a little bit more optimistic about that, the both of you have, um, in that how many people, a- and it seems so huge to me, and maybe to April, <laughs> to probably not to Ben, but, but but this is a touchstone to me. But, but our touchstones in our era were few and far between. And maybe there's just more of them and they're less meaningful, but that's a good thing because you're not sitting around for two hours trying to derive ultimate meaning from fucking Rocky Horror Picture Show. Um, I did not, you know, I... If each of them is valuable to as many people, despite the fact that that number of people is a lower percentage of the population, if each of these potential small counterculture touchstones, these, these cult phenomena, if they are spreading... How much more subversive is that? And maybe how much more awesome that there's that many of them shared by the same number of people, albeit a lower percentage of the total population, but with that many more diverse viewpoints. And that eventually, yeah, those people are going to run into each other. And simply because of their love of the weird, like I said, somebody that knew I was into Rocky Horror is who first showed me Priscilla. And Priscilla Queen of the Desert is an entire another conversation, but it's a it, it's a similar movie at least relating to the sort of cultural, mental gender stereo whatever control issues we've discussed so far, and also the first time that I was aware that a woman could do Kegels sufficiently to propel a ping pong ball out of her vagina. So there's a number of interesting things in Priscilla Queen of the Desert, uh, but but if if but if there's if there are those things out there for maybe it is just that there's as the dominant culture splinters there are so many more subcultures so yeah it's harder to see any given one of them yeah but that they still have the same effect and and that guys seriously that makes me more optimistic it really does
0: well it's one of those things that Again, not to keep calling us the old people yelling at clouds, but in some ways we are because it's possible, Elle, that you have a TikTok account because you have young daughters. It's possible that April has a TikTok account. I don't, and I have no desire to have one. But with each <laughs> with each step away from what is the current popular place of interaction – I become less or more and more removed from the creation of those subcultures. True. Well,
1: true in the fact that you're not helping make them. You may be inspiring them. (laughs) The older we get, the more likely we are to do that. So don't forget that side of the equation. (laughs) But, you know, I I just, Rocky Horror to me, maybe more than any other movie, given where we grew up, what our lives were like, and if, if y'all haven't heard any of that, go back and listen to some of our earlier episodes, because you don't want to hear me talk anymore. Well, that's not a good pitch. But, <laughs> but go back and listen to some that of the... the <laughs> tagline.
0: You don't want to hear us talk anymore.
1: <laughs> but go back and listen to some of the earlier ones and you'll know why you don't want to hear me just <laughs> belabor my childhood. But this was so eye-opening to me in a way that very few other things were until I got into with some friends in college, black exploitation cinema and then like actual black cinema, like Spike Lee and do the right thing. And, and I really started, this was, this was, holy shit. There's a world out there. I know nothing
0: about big for me is what this yep. movie was. And I can see that. And, uh, but I think my own experience was closer to April's. Because um, I know that my I know my parents had watched Rocky Horror Picture Show because after I saw it, I talked to them about it. And, wow. you know, they didn't like it, but they'd seen it. But and we didn't I didn't watch the, the movie that you mentioned, but we watched Best Little Whorehouse in Texas and stuff like that. and, Do a little and stuff. Yeah, so, wanna... uh, <laughs> so, yeah, I mean, it it, it, it wasn't so far out because you know in some ways my dad was the black sheep of the family and so he was as much as he um and i guess my mom might have been of her family too um, as much as they were religious they didn't push religion on me um, they wanted me to be religious but they didn't tell me what kind of religious i had to be they wanted me to experience things and make up th- things for my own mind because they had both I guess, or at least I know my dad felt this way. He he felt that things had been dictated to him and he didn't want to dictate to me. Um, you know, so I, that's why I'm as open-minded as I am, however open-minded that happens to be. Um, Very. Well, my I, all relatively. Um, so, yeah, uh, I think that there there is something to that. I don't know what it is now because I lost my train of thought.
1: Well, we've reached "Don't Dream It, Be It." And April, I hate how right you were about the changes in his voice, and his costuming, and everything else. As yeah, you. you
2: and he went from being a transvestite, using the terminology from the day. From a transvestite, like I'm dressing with right. the pearls and the corset, but I'm still very masculine. I've still right. have that masculine feel to at the end talking about Fay Ray and being in the satin and the and you know. The red that. lawn. And,
1: and he goes from the black to the red lacy lingerie. And yeah, no, absolutely. It's a hundred percent. And Dr. Scott, he's got to be strong and try to hang on and fight. And yeah, no, you're you're absolutely right. And To me, maybe that's One of the things that still makes This a little bit relevant Is the tie Between what Gay men went through In the 70s and 80s And still do to some extent But the tie between That and feminism In the fact That there's a huge Overlap, and nobody really likes To talk about it, whether feminists Or gay men, but (laughs) But there's a huge overlap in how negatively you're looked at for not being masculine in the society. And yeah, uh, there's definitely something to be said for that in that it, that's when he becomes unforgivable, right? Is when he decides I'm going to reject what I could have in the masculine and embrace the feminine. Well, at that point you got to go. Um, I'm going to climb the giant penis and shoot you with a triple phallic laser. <laughs> uh, <laughs>
0: toxic masculinity, yo. Uh, <laughs>
1: it is. And uh, ironically, uh, one of the comedians I love is Bill Burr, who is uh, hi- <laughs> just a hyper example of toxic masculinity, but he knows it. Um, but yeah, it's it, it really is. April you're exactly right it's when the feminine becomes they're all doing a showgirl dance they're that's when everything just becomes unacceptable Dr. Scott's legs it's not great that they work they're in fishnets right and and that's that's worse than being paralyzed obviously I, so there's something to be said uh, for that and yet They burst through in skirts, and Richard O'Brien's voice is the highest it gets in the entire sequence. I I don't know. It's just so hard to read this, and maybe I just don't know enough older gay men. I, I guess I need to go talk to more older gay men about their views of Rocky Horror Picture Show. Maybe.
0: And it could be that they filmed it without any overarching s- uh, statement that it was just camp and fun and over the topness.
1: That doesn't feel like Richard O'Brien to me, but I suppose it's possible. I don't actually know the, the person, so I'm not okay. going to judge. But Richard usually. <laughs> he yeah, still struggles
2: himself, though. He struggles yeah. himself because he's still kind of. Sitting on that line, and I saw an interview with him where he was talking about he sees himself as seventy percent masculine and thirty percent feminine. But therefore, while he was taking estrogen, right to kind of ride that line, well, uh, so and he that, is still kind of figuring out where he stands. But see, that does
1: go to something, in my opinion, that this movie says to me that I do that that I will fight for. It's one of the few things I will fight for. Overall that this movie speaks to me in is that and that to me is still resonant, which is that you can be a man or you can be a woman. There's not anything in between, not in our not in society back then, certainly. And not much today. He's defining it in percentages because it is an all or nothing mathematical equation if you admit that that's there then the question is how much because the question is how much is acceptable before somebody fucking shoots you i, I that sounds bitter as hell and it is i'm not going to lie um it, it's it's not acceptable in our society to reject the gifts that masculinity is supposed to give you Um, because so many people have bought into what that means for the world and if you choose willingly to reject the privileges that are offered to you as a man or a masculine being and embrace the feminine you subvert and again we're going back to subversion and and fighting control but you subvert maybe the most fundamental thing in our world um and that's why maybe I'm so passionate about this movie is I really do feel like that's the last big battle to be fought still.
0: Um I won't say that it's the only because I mean there are a lot of battles to still be fought. I will say that I understand where you're coming from and don't necessarily disagree with you, but I would say that this is an artifact from 1975 much like you're an artifact from 1977. And <laughs> Fuck you, but yes. <laughs> and I think somebody born in 1993 might look at it, or even 2000 might look at it different. I would hope so. I would hope. I, that I that
1: hope that. So, so too.
0: I mean, I'm not saying that we're there yet, but I think we're a lot closer than we were when this movie was made.
1: Well, yeah, we are. I mean, the fact that Sam Smith actually is commonly addressed as them. And gets their preferred pronouns, despite fame, which was achieved as a man, and now is talking about their breasts and thighs. I Yes, progress has been made, but I still view it, uh, and I've said this before, I'll say it again, there's a reason we had a black president well before we've had a female one. Yeah,
0: no. no
1: it's, it's the last... Not the last, but it's the last giant fundamental divide we have to overcome if we're truly going to be equal as people, not classified things. And the rejection of classification maybe is what I love so much about this movie is just, fuck you, you don't get to label me, I'm going to be me.
2: Well, that's partially American, too, as well, though, because there's a lot of women oh, in power, yes. and they're not seen as lesser. Um, if anything, they're kind of seen as these greater beings, maybe because they are female. Who knows? Um,
1: well, when you said, I, I misread you when you said that's partially American too, I was thinking of the fact that you reject collectivism in favor of your individual personality, oh, okay. which is yeah. insanely American.
2: Yeah, <laughs> that's very much American. Yeah, there you go. You're, right.
1: you're right about the, the, the gender side of it as well to some extent. And yes, there have been many small cultures. That were more open to mixed genders Not even small cultures Dear God, there's how many thousands, millions of Hindus That do have a room for a third gender Native Americans, many groups had rooms for a third or fourth gender But it still, at least in Western civilization Seems like the primary divide to me. And it's one that Rocky horror does a fuck of a lot to break down. And, and and to me, honestly, that that
0: at its core is why I love this movie. Well, I think that's probably a good spot to stop on because we've been going for well over an hour now. Um any last word, April, on the movie?
2: No, because if I start, I won't stop. And I do think this is a good wrapping point. I mean the conversation can go on and I think that everybody should continue this conversation. What do you think? Let them know.
0: Yeah, please let us know. Um, do you want to let anyone know where they can find you social media wise?
2: Uh, okay. I'm on Twitter, Cy underscore ghoul on Twitter and then same thing on Instagram because I'm that type of person.
0: All right. Ellie, you want to lead us out?
1: No, man. I'm going to watch Rocky and Frank float dead in the pool and just Cry. be me with it for a while. Um, I apologize for probably my lack of coherent contribution to this one. This one, until we started doing it, I don't think I realized how much it meant to me. And uh, I've been all over the place maybe a little bit with it because of that. Um
0: Sorry. Not sorry. I I don't think you have to apologize for anything. Um, I think that you have been actually more coherent in this one than in some of the other ones. So
1: fuck you too then on that. But I love you to death, brother. But (laughs) goddamn, that hurts me on some of the other
0: ones. (laughs) (laughs) Um, And yeah, uh, you know, if you want to let us know what this movie means to you or if you are younger than us, which is not very hard to do. Then, if you have your thoughts on a cult movie from your generation that you will maybe want to hear us talk about, or you just want to tell us, "Hey, man, you know, all cultural touchstones did not happen back in the '70s or '80s." Um, please let us know. You can leave us a message on voicemail at Anchor. You can hit L up at eclectic heretic on the Twitter machine. You can hit me up at Ben dangerously. We thank you for listening and. This has been a fun one I, We'll have to have April come back on and talk about other stuff with us time.
1: Absolutely and just on the off chance Richard O'Brien Or anyone else involved in the movie Ever hears this Please just freaking talk to me That'd be awesome
0: <laughs> <laughs> uh, I'm just
1: going to totally fanboy out On this one man Sorry Steve Dave
0: <laughs>
1: <laughs> Later guys
0: Later